everyone and welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. I'm your host David Shi and as always I've got the Smiley John Camino, <laughs> Mr. Camino with me on the other side of the camera. How are you mate? Hi uh, David, I'm good. Smartest guy in this room today. I've only got, I'm here by myself so that, that, uh, that was <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm very well, I'm very well. Uh, how are you doing? Good, mate. Good. Always happy to have you on board, as always. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I know you've got big projects coming up as well. So, uh, yeah, let's see, let's see how that pans out. Um, <laughs> as we might have to change our schedule again, but uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll work it out. We'll work it out. That's for sure. Um, yes, exactly. So, just passed a long weekend. Hope everyone had a fantastic mm. time. And um, um, first week of October, we've just got the uh, official cash rate hand down from. Our uh, first uh, female governor, Michelle Bullock, um, her first meeting as well in terms of the monetary policy decision. John, I think, would it be safe to say, I think most people kind of guess it's going to be a hold this month anyway. So there wasn't much uh, suspense, was it? Not at all. Yeah, it's exactly what exactly what was expected. Um, and I think if I'm not mistaken, it's been the fourth month in a row that they've That's been right. on hold. It is the fourth, it is the fourth month. That's been yeah. so far. And that seems to be the prevailing wisdom that they're going to be on hold for a bit. Uh, eventually, they'll come down. But mm. but in all of the statements, in all of the, the verbiage, it's always about how the, there's probably one more up our sleeve. There's one more. You know, don't be surprised if we raise rates again. So yeah. I don't think that's what the market's expecting, but I think they want to keep their op- options open and they're, they're, you know, regularly threatening another increase. So I don't think, I don't think, I don't think they want us to... Th- to think that the next move is down, but I think that the next move is probably down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think out of the big four banks, uh, three of them have predicted that I think they, they this is pretty much it. And uh, only NAB, I think, has, is saying that there should be there will be one more. Um, yeah. And the likelihood of prediction on when that could come is just bef- uh, just on the race day, as a matter of fact. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, that that proves interesting, but look, you are correct. Uh, in the statement released straight uh, straight after the announcement, um, it was widely anticipated there was no change, um, but they are still concerned at the moment in terms of the economy, how the future economy is going to pan out. At the moment, mm. the inflation has passed its peak um, essentially, and um, but um, you know the uh, the services inflation, which proves to be sticky overseas there is risk that that could happen to australia as well um, at the moment so that's that's one of them that's currently monitoring and we know that oil prices is obviously you know has been quite high i think it just dropped down earlier this week though isn't yeah, it yeah yeah overnight a quite a lot as well which is so it's nearly is, it's nearly at 80 bucks it's about 84 dollars, which is still quite so high. it sort of keeps getting to about 92 dollars, and they're getting smacked down which is mm. which is which is good, right? We want lower oil prices, but hopefully relieves a bit of a pressure on the petrol prices mm. at the moment, which everyone's seeing. But I think the Aussie dollar taking a big hit at the moment is also not helping either. So, you know, the CPI that was released last week, I think it was end of September, um, showed that I think it was 5.1%, so slightly higher than previous month. Uh, but that was mainly caused by the volatile items like the petrol prices. So, um, yeah, so... So I think it's generally agreed that uh, inflation is pretty much, uh, you know, okay at the moment. But having said that, they'll never they'll never state that in the statement, and that's why they always put right. down the fact that 
Uh, there could be one more, or there could be future further tightening may be required. Um, that's the famous words I just so inherited from Governor Lowe. Um, <laughs> so definitely never say never, but uh, fingers crossed that, um, you know, we are going to be, uh, we're going to be on this holding pattern. Um, but um, yeah, there could be a lot more, a lot more pain to come. I guess the big question is how long do you think it's going to be holding out like this, right, John? Like how long is a piece of string, mm. basically? Yeah, I, I was I was comfortable I could predict interest rate movements up until about 2019, and and since then it's I've been terrible at it. Uh, so I'm not sure. I mean, Chairman Powell in at the Federal Reserve, and and I do believe that there is a lot of collusion with the major central banks. I think that the ECB and the Fed and the Bank of Japan, I think they all talk to each other. Yep. So you find a lot of the same vocabulary. It's about it's probably a good thing, um, but but I think that they they are all tr trying to be on the same page. And Chairman Powell is saying. Um, expect rates to be um, higher for longer. So don't expect rate cuts. Don't expect rate cuts. So if we take them at their word, it, it, they're probably going to be on hold for a bit uh, with the threat of higher interest rates that possibly never materialise. But mm -hmm. but again, my um my credibility on interest rate predictions is just is just shot. So um, I, I have no idea what they're going to do. Um, uh, what, what I think what I think that they're slightly bothered by is that, so I think that they measure CPI and CPI is coming in soft and and that's good. One thing that they don't officially care about, but they do really care about, are things like asset prices, home prices, mm. and home prices are on a bit of a tear everywhere. So it's not just in Australia where we're seeing that them, them going up. I think a lot of people are scratching their heads, and we can talk about this a little bit later. But um, now you've got asset prices, uh, you know, uh, rising. Um, even if CPI is coming down. So there are uh, all, all sorts of different uh, levers uh, that are concerning at the moment, but I, I don't think consumer price inflation is is as big a worry as it was you know, yeah. 12 months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably uh, comes down to services inflation now, yeah. essentially, and um, unemployment figure will be an interesting one to, to monitor, I mm. guess, later this week or later this month, um, which would determine, I think, would fundamentally pin down how, the right decision could be next month. So, so there, there, there are job numbers coming out tonight. So by the time this airs, they'll oh, yeah. probably be out. Um, the ADP figures came out yesterday in the US and they were bad, but they weren't as bad as expected. Mm. So, you know, the 10-year yield went back up again. So um, who, who knows? I think there's a lot of resilience in the market. but And every, everyone's sort of – everyone's been calling for a recession uh, later this year. It's always the second half of the year when these – uh, recessions. I've predicted um, eight of the last two recessions. So uh, my uh, my um, uh, my uh, record is unblemished with success on this. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice one. All right. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for the comments. So we'll, we'll keep an eye out in terms of what's going to happen. Um, and um, given it's first week of October, I think it's it, it yep. makes sense for us to delve into the CoreLogic Hedonic Index uh, that was released earlier this month, a couple of days ago, as a matter of fact. So uh, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive today um, in that just to, um, you know, I think it's uh, there's a few interesting topics which is thought, you know, we'll we'll run for it together and then, you know, we'll get some commentary off John um, as well in terms of what he thinks and, uh, you know, I might be able to chime in a little bit here as well. So... Um, so here we are. Um, I think everyone can start seeing that. Uh, hopefully, you can see that screen now. Um, so this is the release, Hedonic Home in Value Index release on the 2nd of October. 
Headline home value index up 0.8% in September as demand and supply imbalance continues to push values higher. Um, okay, so basically the property values are still going up at the moment. I've highlighted a few things which we use as a discussion point in the sense. Um, the key uh, titles, headlines, for example, um, you know, CoreLogic Research Director Tim Lawless notes that the performance of the housing market in each city reflects the underlying support dynamic. Okay, so the three capitals recording the highest capital gain each have advertised supply levels that are around 40% below their previous five-year average. So we have a big, big shortage in terms of the supply um, that's coming at the moment. The advertised supply level across Hobart, which is on contrary, the other way, where values are still trending lower, have been holding at above average levels since June last year. And we're almost 40% above five-year average at the moment. So I think this proves to be a big contrast in terms of, uh, you know, the supply value basically determines what would actually be available and what, uh, what people can buy and therefore drives the actual prices. John, any comments on that? Uh uh, yes. So uh, you went straight to supply. You're right. So this is, so housing is going up at the moment. Not, And we, we talked about this before we came on air, actually. And it's not because housing has suddenly become affordable and everyone's sort of, you know, like the, the seagulls at the beach after the one chip. It's there, There's no supply. So it's not because it's affordable, it's because it's scarce. Correct. So we have a housing supply shortage. Now for there to be, there's a lot of discussion now, are we in a are we in a bubble? Because we're basically at the same levels, but for 1%, I think. We're 1% below the all-time highs back in April 2022. Mm. So we're at all-time highs for all intents and purposes. What constitutes a boom or what constitutes a bubble? And a bubble in real estate is always accompanied by uh, an excess of supply. So there's always got to like so think 2007 was the last really big bubble we had, um, yeah that that was like I mean 2021 no uh, it, it was 2007 was about the last big bubble and there was a massive surge of supply that lasted a couple of years, that's a bubble. So the reason I raise this is because Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane are not in real estate bubbles, but Hobart, Hobart might be. So if Hobart, if we're saying there that the supply is 40 percent above the average of the last five years. There we've got a, an accompaniment of high prices, which are coming down in Hobart, and and high supply. And I think that while I don't think we're in bubble territory yet in yeah. Sydney, I think we're, go, we're going to go through the all-time highs, yeah. um, nor do I think that in Brisbane and Melbourne. Maybe maybe in Hobart we are sort of blowing off a bubble there. Um, the next one to watch I think is also going to be potentially Adelaide, although we've covered this in our gold to um, – yeah real estate ratio Adelaide which looks like it's it's probably uh in bubble territory was actually just doing a massive catch-up uh but I, I do feel like it's it's getting towards overvaluation there yeah so look for oversupply yeah and I think this is what they're talking about here is the advertised supply level so in other words a number of properties that's available right. under yeah to being advertised for um yeah for uh, for sale basically I think that that pins down um yeah the performance um and, and how much it's grown because yeah it's a again it comes down to a supply and demand equation yeah There's, there is actually one thing and i wish i had the stats in front of me but there is a difference between the total supply of available stock yeah. uh and the and new advertise. new advertised stock yeah. so new advertised stock is is rising but the total 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 of available stock which includes previous 
um, stock that was available. That that's still very low. Um, but it's you know supplies on the rise. Supplies on the rise because we're in spring as well. I, mm. I think that this is sort of a nuance that that we're missing at the moment. The supply always goes up at this time of year. That's fantastic. That's as it should be. That doesn't mean that we've got a big um, surge in supply. We have to look at it compared to the previous years. And again, I, I'm a, a bit Sydney centric, but S- Sydney supplies total supply is still lower than previous years. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I think you've probably jumped the curve because there is talk about that uh, advertised supply as well as total supply, which was going to yeah. be in, in this. But um, um, that's okay. We'll continue on. So. <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, you know we have since the since the trough in January, basically the national index has recovered by about six point six percent, and we're only about one point three percent below the record highs in April last year. So you know, like you and I were just talking off air beforehand about how amazing and how quickly this has bounced back. I don't think anyone has seen this, you know, right? Like with um with all the cash with how quickly the cash rate has increased in the last twelve months or fifteen months now. Um, it's yeah, it's just it's just mind blowing in terms of how quickly the values have have recovered um, in such a short period of time. But we are pretty much there, um, as Tim Lord has mentioned here. At the current rate of growth, we are likely to see the national home value index recover to a new nominal high by the end of November. So, in other words, we probably we would be hitting yeah. the previous peak and potentially surpass it from November onwards, which is you know literally next month. So pretty crazy. Um, it's also worth noting that after leading recovery cycle, the premium housing sector might be losing some steam. So John, I know um, I think earlier this year, you mentioned that the, the upper end of the market was kind of leading recovery cycle, but now it kind of makes sense that due to affordability, the middle and the lower quartile is now starting to push up because, you know, like the top, the upper end of the quartile is now mm. starting to slow. Um, yeah, so uh, um, it's it's interesting to see that. And um, in a, in a more expensive city, Sydney and Melbourne, the broad middle of the market is now recording the highest growth rate after previous being led by the upper quartile. So basically, the I think people are starting to find the the value and what what what's affordable, and therefore started to push up on that um, on that middle middle of the market um, level now. So yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we we just have. A shortage of housing in this country. Uh, that, I mean, it's because you know we've got rental accommodation that's rising very, very quickly. It's rising at about fifteen percent per year over the last say two years, and we've got prices that are rising as well. Now we we are caught up in what we would describe as a general inflation. So you can't have a situation where uh, um, the price of a house stays at one million dollars for five years, where and the price of a movie ticket gets to eighty dollars. You know, you. you prices are all relative right so we're moving money in and out of sectors all the time and yep. um if so so that that's partly what's happening we just have like bad central banks for the last 20 years and mm. and too much currency in the system and and that you know that some of that goes into housing um but also you know we we, we one thing that I, and i get it if i was a policymaker I, I suppose i get it but we just have quite a lot of population growth so it that they could solve this housing problem, which I, I never call a crisis, but we we have a housing shortage, and they could just pause immigration for for two years and let mm-hmm. construction catch up, and no one wants to do that. And I get I get it. Like we need a bigger population, I suppose, for geopolitical reasons. Fine, but but 
I guess then let's not pretend that we're worried about a housing problem um, because they could you could solve this. I mean, if we're if we're net migrating three hundred and fifty thousand people a year, that means we have to build more than one Canberra every year. That's a lot. It's a it's a lot of housing. It's a lot of housing that we're we're going to need. So, I always feel like that the thing that we're not allowed to talk about is is immigration, uh, and I think that's part of this. Yes, I'm very pro immigration, really. But it's also the, the it's like Voldemort. We're not allowed to mention it. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I think that these are these are easily solved issues. Uh, but but if we were allowed to talk about them honestly, I think that we we might do things differently. But uh, um, but I think that's underlying all of this really, yeah. because it's not that housing's cheaper. Uh, it's because it's yeah, if you want to live somewhere, you, you're going to have to join the feeding frenzy. It's like everyone is being forced to play in this game, unfortunately, you know, and um, the competition is mm. already fierce um, right now yeah. and it's just, it's just getting even worse um, with all that migration, immigration tap that's been turned on. So that's the main issue we're seeing, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, it could be as simple as just basically turning off the tap for a little while um, in that sense and stop immigration for a while and let the, uh, let the construction catch up to improve on the supply side of the equation. Mm. Mm. Anyway, um, okay, so, but, yeah, looking at the table here, um, just quickly covering off. So Brisbane's obviously going very strong, 1.3%. Adelaide, very, very stellar performing, 1.7%. And Perth, 1.3% as well. So, and Sydney at mm-hmm. 1%. So, you know, these are the out, uh, these are the strong performers out of the out of the cities. And Hobart is a minus 0.6% last month. Um, so that's the only capital at the moment that's kind of going backwards. Uh, mm. right now but yeah as we kind of expected you know the brisbane adelaide perv are all in the affordable market bracket range so you know that's that just kind of shows where where them where there's affordability that's where the money's currently going yeah i think melbourne's the most interesting i i, I mean i don't know about any capital except for sydney so i don't want to uh project any expertise i don't have but melbourne melbourne is the most interesting capital to me right now so um you know it's what nearly 30 percent below the median price in sydney whereas it's probably going to overtake us in terms of population very soon it's 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 obviously got some i i think there's probably some institutional or political concerns there but but they would be short term. I wouldn't be worried about those. Just an interesting market. It just looks cheap to me um, in terms of the ratios uh, that we do uh, every six months. It looks cheap. Yeah. Uh, so there's that, and and I think on the other side, Adelaide is starting to look a little bit toppy. So that that's. I mean, I look at the the CoreLogic daily indexes every day, and I, I'm always staggered to see how fast Adelaide is increasing in price. So yeah. so well done to our listeners in Adelaide. That's true. That's true. Who are, whoever's got in early, I think that's always the case. And you look at how close Brisbane and Melbourne medium value has been. It's about mm. $15,000 at the moment. Kind of shows how vast the undervalued Melbourne is at the moment. Um, yeah, so you're, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. And um, if I could point out Hobart and Perth. So Hobart's medium value is 658 and Perth median value six one eight. So imagine just just think about the the two the two economy drivers in these two different capital cities. You know, Perth being such a big mining player has an even lower median value than Hobart at the current yeah. stage. So that kind of tells you something. I say so. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, okay. So we've got. Um, Actually, this is this is an interesting graph, John. I think this is worth touching on. How much have dwelling values risen since bottoming out? 
So as at Sydney at the moment, which was, you know, Sydney bottom out around January 2023, we have gained 10.6% since then. We have gained 10.6%. Since January. Right, okay. Right, that's right. Melbourne, 4.3%. So Melbourne has still got quite a bit of recovery. Brisbane, 9.1%. Brisbane has also also rec- recla- reclaimed most of its, uh, its growth now. Adelaide, 6.3%, and that's from March. So... Adelaide at the moment has obviously got a lower peak. Uh, sorry, a, a, a peak that came in a, a lot lower. So they they peaked at March 2023, and therefore mm-hmm. uh, the dwelling value hasn't risen as much from since then. Perfect 8.8%, um, and the peak was September 2022. So, you know, all these are these are pretty pretty fascinating. Since the bottom, you know, these capital cities, apart from Melbourne. At the moment, um, you know, is 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 one of the reasons why it seems to be so undervalued right now. Um, but yeah, Sydney is definitely leading the box, John. In that case, yeah, interesting, interesting. I mean, the, the most recent data that, in terms of the, the the most recent quarter, it's all about Adelaide and Brisbane. Mm. Uh, they, they've outperformed, but you know, I think that this is a very interesting chart. So going back to the back to the bottom uh, or their respective bottoms, yeah, That's interesting, fine. yeah. Okay, so. All right, but yeah, for anyone who's interested, you know, that's on page two of the hedonic index. Certainly have a look at it. Um, all right, uh, comment, moving on to the next uh, narrative. So the trend, this is the talking about the advertised stock level, John, the one that you mentioned before. The trend in the advertised stock level is key influence on housing values. The flow of new listings has been on an upward trajectory since early June, bucking mm-hmm. the normal seasonal trend when new listings are typically flat to falling through winter. Over the four weeks ending September 24th, the flow of new capital city listings was 14% higher than at the same time last year and 8% above previous five-year average. Okay, so this is talking about the new listing, the new listing. So how many more properties are being advertised uh, on, on, on the market? So we're talking about over the four weeks ending September, so basically from end of August to September, the capital city listings was 14% higher than same time last year and 8% above the previous five-year average. So in other words, we are seeing a lot more new sales listings coming on the market at the moment. Okay, okay. so that's increasing supply. So so think of it like you're turning the tap on a lot more. So you know it's filling up the bucket a lot faster at the moment. As the number of freshly advertised properties increase, there's also been an upward swing in the total number of homes advertised for sale. So this is talking about the total listing here. Although the total capital city listing remained below last year, so in other words, the available properties for sale, the total available properties for sale is still below last year and less than five-year average, there is a clear upswing in available supply. The rolling four-week count of total listing is up 6.7% from the low point in early July. Okay, so so I think a few key here is, you know, I had to read this paragraph about a few times to really understand it, but the new listings, the number of new listings is, is increasing and is above last year and above the previous five-year average. So in other words, a lot more people are putting their properties on the market for sale. The total listing, however, in other words, the total property that's available to sell is still below last year and still less than five-year average at the moment, okay? But that could change. That could mm. change, okay? So the total number of properties available could change. And what that means is 
More listings imply more choice for buyers and more choice means less urgency, more time to deliberate on the purchase and negotiate with the vendor. The total listing trend remains diverse with an above average number of homes on the market in Hobart, Canberra and Melbourne. Okay, so above average number of homes on the market. So in other words, they have a lot more available for sale. Mm -hmm. At the other extreme is Perth, where total advertised supplies was 43.8% below five-year average Wow, this time of the year. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's um, Mm. it's nuts. I mean, how do you interpret this, John? I think the way I look at it is, uh, you know, it's even though we are still seeing a supply issue, in other words, people are still struggling to buy uh, or to find a property to buy because it's just not enough, but that seems to be changing. So that could have an impact in terms of the, the, the price growth in the next three to six months as the number of properties continue to increase. Um, in other words, the supply continue to increase and the available properties for sale continue to increase. So that could dampen the growth. What do yeah, you think? Yeah, uh, look, look, absolutely. But I think that there's a uh, the concern I have with this data is that it, it's not relative to population growth. So mm, okay. yep. uh, you, you, let's say, I think we said that total supply is about 7% lower than the average of the last five years. I think it was something like that or lower than the, the prior year. Mm-hmm. We have 400,000 more citizens than we had a year ago. So it's not just that it's 8%, there's 8% fewer houses. Uh, we need 8%, we, we, there's 8% fewer houses plus all the new people looking for uh, accommodation they're either i mean like putting the details aside they're either going to be renting or buying but they need to live somewhere and we just don't have enough places so we've got eight percent less stock available for people to buy four hundred thousand more people than this time last last year looking for places so i think this i think the supply data the way the way core logic presents it which is excellent and the best we have it still doesn't uh it doesn't really capture how acute the problem is because it doesn't take into account percentage of population or percentage of dwellings available. So uh, this is why when the vacancy rates come out, and I haven't seen them, but I believe the vacancy rates for September are down again. So like I think the vacancy rates are 0.8% or something like that. Combined capital at 1%, um, basically. So um, that's the, yeah, yeah, that's the red line here, 1%. Right. I mean that that's insane. That, that is so so that's that's the best indicator we have of just how scarce real estate is. I mean the, the vacancy rate should be about two and a half to three percent in a healthy market. Where it, mm. you know, Sydney's probably under one percent, but let's say one percent nationally, that's the best statistic for understanding, relatively speaking, how scarce accommodation is in Australia. It's very, 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 very tight. Ten year average was two point eight. Um, for yeah, capital. there you go. Yeah. Right, so there you go. So combined capital was is currently sitting at one percent. So that kind of just shows yeah, yeah how how high straight the situation is. Yeah, which means that this like seventy five percent, relatively speaking, less accommodation available for people looking than there was over the average of the last ten years. If you've gone yeah, for, yeah. from two point eight percent to one percent, mm. my gosh, that's uh, that's that's a key statistic. That's for sure. All right. Um, but yeah, look, coming back to this, was it are there any any other commentaries around um, I guess um around what we, what uh, we spoke about here? No? No, no, not not really. I mean, there's nothing volatile in that data set. I mean, it's either a little bit above or a little yeah. bit below. Uh okay. so 
No, I mean, hopefully it, it it's what you want is supply to rise moderately every year. You would, correct. In an ideal world, that's uh, that's obviously wanted to be the case, mm. but uh, in, re- in real world, I don't think will ever happen. Yeah. Okay, talking about changing in rents then. Okay, so the national rent increased a further 0.7% in September, taking rents 6.4% higher over the first nine months of the year and 8.4% higher over the past 12 months. So that's still quite strong in terms of the rental growth. Mm-hmm. Um, the rise came as vacancy rate dipped again, dropping to 1% across the capital cities and 1.2% across regional Australia, both a record low for these series, which commenced in 2006. Wow. So, yeah, as you know, the, the, this graph basically tells it all, as we can see, right? Like we, we got it to about, you know, September 2019, and then it's pretty much all the way coming down like a sliding yeah. escalator. Yeah, R- rentals are the, the canary in the coal mine for, for your economy. Accommodation, so it responds a lot more quickly than than the buying market mm. uh, to to scarcity. So the the rent market is is what you need to look at, yeah, to be able to d- d- determine uh, how scarce it, the market is. And it's very tight. And um, although vacancy rate has tightened, but the pace of rental growth is easing in most markets. So I think this pretty much is best presented in this uh, in, in, in by this um, by this graph um, as well to a degree. Other rents and units, um, the trend uh, for units certainly is all seem like it's starting to to dip in, to dip down. So in other words, the the rate of the growth in terms of the annual rental change is slowing. Um, it's still growing, but it's, it's dipping slowing. to fourteen percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's still staggering, to be honest. But if you look at, I think the trend is is what we, is what we're looking here. Um, and my gut feeling is, you know, there's obviously a, an affordability ceiling in terms of how much people can afford to pay from a rental perspective as mm-hmm. well. So we are we might not be too far away from that ceiling uh, at, at this point. Therefore, you know, people just can't afford it. So therefore, it's um, it's starting to slow. Natural part of the course, basically. So, um, yeah, yeah. And um, as rental growth slows and housing value rise, the trend in gross rental yield has once again reversed. So this is, uh, John, you and I spoke about this earlier because we would have thought that the yield would be continuing to improve. But as a matter of fact, the past five months has seen dwelling values rise at a faster pace than rents basically sending the gross yield moly into mm-hmm. reverse. So in other words, the price is actually going up a lot faster than how the rent's still going. The rent's already going up very, very quickly, as we can see right now, but it's just mind-boggling when you can see the price is actually going up even faster. So the yield has actually gone slightly backwards, not upwards. Yeah. Yes. It, it, yes. So what this tells us is that people aren't piling into the, the property market because- Sorry. It's it's suddenly become this amazing investment, and it's just cash flowing, and the rents are, rents are up, and it's paying for your mortgage and all that sort of stuff. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. Uh, prices of uh, properties are going up for the same reason rents are going up, and that's because there, there is a shortage, not a crisis, not a crisis, just a shortage, and um, uh, that's that's the reason. I mean, it's we have an imbalance of demand and supply in, in the country I mean, that's that's yep. that's the reason yeah it's yep. not the yield so the yields i think uh they've moved from about two and a half percent at the at the peak up April. to about three to three point one percent now so mm. i mean that's good it's a, it's an improvement um it's it's a rebalancing at more normal levels of yield but it's still not a hugely compelling reason to go out and buy an investment property but you know you're not doing it because the the rent is amazing no 
unfortunately not. So, <laughs> all right. So I think that's pretty much, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, what, what we had to cover out of this report. Is there anything else that you found interesting, John, you'd like to, uh, any final remarks on this uh, before we move on? No, nothing we haven't already said. Good, good, uh, awesome. good chat. All right, well, let's change gears a little bit and let's, uh, let's have a chat about, um, I guess, uh, do some property talk, I should mm. say, um, which, is, uh, which is also one of the very exciting things that we, that we speak about. Um, so this week, we want to talk about, um, uh, as an investor, uh, the, um, one of the, oh, how, do you, how do you phrase this? One of the key questions that you ask yourself, um, property type versus location. Okay, property type versus location, which is more important and why as an investor? Okay, so good question. John, you and I probably have opposing views on this, but anyway, I think it's good to us to have a have a chat about that. Um, and um again, you know, this is all uh we did we didn't we didn't pre-record this or anything, you know, it's it's spontaneous, yeah. <laughs> everything <laughs> along that line. So uh, I think we'll be uh will be a good one to uh to chat out. So location and property type. Um would you like to start or would you like me to start? I was going to uh, handball it back to you, actually. Uh, okay. Do, okay. Do you want to? Do you want to go first? Okay. All right. Um, look. So, as a property investor, I think you know they always say location, location, location. At the end of the day, right? Um, location is the thing that cannot be changed. Property type, maybe, maybe depending depending on what type. Okay. So, um, but let's just use it as an example. Um, would you be looking at buying a house? Uh, with block of land maybe 600 square meters in Schofield. Um, you know, we're talking about, I don't know, 40 kilometers northwest of Sydney Central mm. CBD as opposed to maybe a two-bedroom unit in in the West, you know. So that's that's a clear contrast in terms of uh, property type and location. Obviously, the inner West will be a lot closer to the city, will be a lot more commutable uh, for those people who need it. As opposed to um, you know a, 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 a potentially a big house out in Schofields with a big block of land, yep. so we all know from principles that land is the one that grows in value, not dwelling. Dwelling is the one that depreciates, right? So, in theory, you will probably want to keep that. You want to buy a, a, something with a land as much land component as you possibly can, but in reality. Is that really going to be the best investment in terms of the capital growth prospects? I guess that's that's really the the question that we're trying to trying to solve here, right? So, look personally for me, um, if I have got the capacity to be able to afford to keep on those mortgages um, and to buy big block of land, even though it's further out, I will probably still pick that. I'll probably mm-hmm. still pick that over potentially in this example a two bedroom unit in in the west. Okay. Okay. That's just put it, put it in that perspective. I would probably choose in this case, land slash property, um, land slash property type over location slash property type. Okay. Um, that's my, that's my personal view. Uh, if, if my pocket is deep enough to be able to hold that for long term, I think the land is always going to be the one that continues to go up. Whereas, you know, the block of units in inner West and again, I'm using in the West, not because I don't like or anything like that, but there's still chances of it being redeveloped and they could potentially release a more high rises down the track as well. So that could dampen the capital growth prospects on that either. Okay. So, mm. so I'm leaning more towards the further block out, uh, but okay. yeah, having a house on that. But okay. keen to hear your thoughts, John. 
Yeah, I, I mean, there are examples that go both ways. But if I had, if I had a gun to my head and I had to choose a yes. particular strategy, I, I prefer the location over the property type. Okay. So, uh, so if it was a you know terrace in Paddington versus a house in Seven Hills, I would prefer the the terrace in Paddington. Uh-huh. Although they may not be at the same price point, actually. But but generally speaking, something like that. Now there are examples where. If you become, if you get too generic, like a, I would prefer a house in Blacktown over a unit in Ashfield, and I love Ashfield. Like, a, but so th- there are s- some uh, fairly generic property types that are yes. going to underperform. That's but right. generally speaking, uh, location for me, uh, generally speaking, ma- macro themes end up, I think, winning out in the end. So I think I prefer uh, the 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 closer in locations over the um the house in, in other in in outer suburbs with more land but I, I mean in my head i'm just going through my rolodex of times when that that hasn't prevailed uh but so i, I can see the the other side uh funny, funny I, you said Charis in yeah. paddington because that's a different property type as opposed to what it, i have that's mentioned. right that's well, right right like yes yeah um, yeah yeah and but what and, about uh, a yeah two bedroom unit in manly i would buy that any day of the week or a three bedroom unit in, in Coogee. Mm. I, you know th- those are great properties um so, so if if i had to what a couple of a couple of caveats here we like we like nuance at spark your fire so we, we we like to to give sort of uh strong detailed responses and we don't always give the the, the short sound bite but um uh firstly i think whether you're buying a unit or like I think I prefer location, but in these locations, I think you you need to know whether you're buying a unit unit or a house. Yeah, and there is a way to to think about which is undervalued. You might have heard us talk about this in the past, but you want to buy a unit in a, a location where the house to unit ratio is at least three to one. So you would not buy a unit in Campbelltown, but maybe you'd buy a house. Um, and you wouldn't buy a uh, and so on. And so, but, you know, there are, you know, a unit in Double Bay or Mossman is four times, a house in Double Bay or Mossman is four times the value of a unit. So yeah. their units are quite, quite relatively inexpensive. So Mossman, Double Bay, Coogee, you'd buy units and that would be perfectly fine. So yeah. there is some nuance. You, you want to uh, have a look at those ratios of houses to unit prices to give you an indication of what is relatively better value in those areas. Yep. Um, yeah. And I had a, one other thing to say and I've forgotten it actually, but, uh, but, but for now, let's go with that. Any thoughts on the ratio? Uh, the ratio. Uh, no, look, I think that's a great, that's a great thing that you pointed out. I, I would also like to add in a scarcity factor as well um like i said you know if you're within that suburb there's always going to be a more predominant type of dwelling over the other so you know whether that's going to be 70 percent units and you know 10 percent townhouses and 20 percent houses that kind of things you certainly want to pick the type of dwellings that has a more scarcity over the other yeah. so you know in that scenario you wouldn't want to be buying a unit within a 70 percent unit dominated suburb yeah. um 
and and look, same thing as I generalized in my previous response. You know, um, a uh, if you're if you're looking at like a two hundred square meters block that's being subdivided, and you know everyone's got the cookie cutter type of houses, that's mm-hmm. probably not the best investment when you're looking at five foot out in Schofields. What mm-hmm. I had in my mind is probably just a standalone without you know without being cut it out and you know had it, its own type of character, so the property itself would still have differentiation from everyone else. It's unique by itself. So, you know, the question here is looking at scarcity, um, the, the uniqueness of the property as opposed to, um, you know, the, the one of the two-bedroom units that's being built within hundreds and hundreds of development complexes. Everyone looks the same in that case. Okay, so um, so there is that scarcity factor in my mind as well when I was, when I was answering this question previously. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, the, I think you know the the units in Bondi that you mentioned. Obviously, there's scarcity in that, whether it's from a location perspective, whether yeah. it's from a unit perspective, and you know, yeah, perfect example um, in that sense. Whereas, yeah, so I think certainly yeah. it's uh, there's no, there's no right or wrong answer here. Uh, you know, of course, at the end of the day, um, and, and again, it looks like from a snapshot perspective, you know, 20 years ago, my you know, if you look at compare Bondi. A two-bedroom unit Bondi, as opposed to I don't know, um, uh, say say Seven Hills House. Um, in that case, um, the value might not be that much of a of a difference. But um, over over period of time, you know, the location and and land value as it gets redeveloped yeah. and 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 zoned, it will start to show differences from mm. that onwards. And it just comes down to, as I said, how deep is your pocket? Uh, in, in that case, you know, a house would always require higher maintenance cost in general. Mm. And there could be, you know, roofing issues, repainting issues, that kind of stuff. Whereas um, units, I mean, don't get me wrong, you'd probably still get, get hit from hefty strata fees from time to time as well. But, um, you know, at least if you pick the right units and they're solid bricks, then you minimize the risk of having yeah. to pay those. So, yeah. So, I just, just add a footnote as well. And I, I'm very guilty of this. So, I, talk about units versus houses we do this almost every week on this show but i want to do it i want to do a carve out to an often forgotten sort of property type which is the three-bedroom unit the three-bedroom unit they don't you know they when they build the big apartments they generally don't make a lot of them uh but the three-bedroom unit the humble three-bedroom unit has really outperformed over the last uh, 10 years when for a lot of that time units have not done that great so houses have really done very well over the last sort of five years but units haven't with the exception of the three bedroom unit so what what i would i would say is you know an old three bedroom walk-up apartment in a let me give you an example unit units are not scarce in a suburb like lane cove and lane cove is a very sort of uh it's a high demand suburb high supply suburb three bedroom units do great in lane cove because there's not many of them so when we I just want to sort of add some nuance to this sort of unit versus house debate to throw in the three bedroom house uh, three bedroom unit which appeals to upsizes and downsizes and that seems to be a very on trend um acquisition type in um in Sydney over the last 5 years so so if we were to say comparing three bedroom units to houses in in outer suburbs three bedroom units probably done quite well yeah yeah no, that's very true. So yeah, it comes back to scarcity again, and is it yeah. unique yeah. in that sense? I think I actually saw one four bedroom units once. Yeah, they they yeah, that would have been that would have been a rare as uh, uh yeah the hens yeah. <laughs> hens teeth in that case, isn't it? So have you actually seen a few of them uh, four bedroom? Units? I, I, yeah, I bought a four bedroom unit in Kirribilli a couple of years ago, oh, and, we, and they yeah. turned the fourth bedroom into a media room. Uh, but so that yeah, they they, exist. they do exist. They exist. 
they do exist just not as common as two bidders that we see yeah. nowadays flocking around the whole time that's right all right fantastic thanks john anything else any last last remark on this uh no no okay awesome all right well look uh thank you guys again for joining us for another episode of spark your fire um and um have a good week and i look forward to see you again in the next episode cheers david john if you have any questions or feedback about today's episode you can reach out to us through spark your fire podcast at gmail.com that's spark your fire podcast all one word at gmail.com also the content discussed in this episode is general in nature please seek specific advice from qualified professionals in regards to your personal situation